The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me this week, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are continuing on our exploration of high school movies, something I totally did not mention in the last episode. Um, And I know that because we just finished recording the last episode. That's right, folks. We are recording two episodes in a row, but releasing them as normal. So it will have been a week since you last heard us. But for Corey and I, it will have been almost two by the time you hear this. And uh, we're going to talk briefly about another movie that we've watched. Um, I'm actually going to talk about a comedy special I watched on Netflix. And Corey's going to talk about a After Dark Film Festival movie she watched. Um, but first, how you doing, Corey? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm okay. And uh, we just talked about um, our Fast Times at Ridgemont High experience, but this episode... We're going to be talking about Alexander Payne's election uh, from, I believe, 1998, although now I'm not remembering the year. I'm going to look so I can... 99. 99. Ah, so close. Um, this is a film that a lot of people really love. It has an 83 Metascore, um, 7.3 IMDb user score, and uh, it's a comedy that I've seen twice before. But, Corey, you've never seen Election, right? No. Is there a reason you've uh, you've skipped it? I just wasn't ever really interested. And what made you pick it for this list? Because I am not really about these movies. <laughs> I felt like oh. I had a hard time. Oh. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, I try to, like, find out or, like, try to find ones that are kind of popular and ones that I have, I should have maybe seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, like, where this came from. But... That's interesting. I, I feel like you picked the topic for this month. Did I pick the topic for this month? I could have swore that it was your idea to do high school movies. Um, but it totally makes sense that I did it. But I, in my head, for some reason, you picked this topic. It was going back to school, I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was definitely the inspiration for like why it's August and not like another month. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I did pick this. Um, I do like high school movies, generally speaking. But this one has always made me uncomfortable. But yes, thank you. Before we get Ugh. into why... Let's uh, start with the other things that we've watched. What what movie are you going to talk about, Corey? Well, the other day I was perusing HBO Go, and I actually own this movie, but for some reason, being able to just stream something instead of having to come into my office and get the DVD. And I'm also really bad about putting away movies. <laughs> I'm really bad. So I'll just get a stack of them, <laughs> a big stack, before... It just takes over my dresser or something, and then I need to put them away. So if I can stream something, it makes it much more, I don't oh, know. Oh, no, I completely agree. I have a huge collection of physical media still, and I still will often buy physical media, but I much prefer a digital copy of something for so many reasons. There's just, it's just so appealing. It's it's so quick and easy, um, and that it stores on, like, I can be watching it on my Xbox in my in my man room. And I could pick up my phone and continue watching where I left off, or I can go to the other room and watch it at where I left off without having to, like, I mean, you can always skip ahead or whatever, but I'm saying it's there. It, or finding the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is, uh, it's just, and again, let's be real, sometimes it's just simply laziness. Like, I'm in a chair, I'm comfortable, I can get up and look for a movie, or I can just scroll through a list of digital selections and... That, or let's be real, we can also waste two and a half hours looking at things and then never actually watching which something. Happens Thank a you. whole lot, yeah. And or yeah. you can just put on back episodes of a TV series that you've seen way too many times, a la Friends. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but anyways, so our friend, our mutual friend, who I won't say his name, but um, he also used to love horror movies. And he kind of introduced me to this film festival that they used to do. And they did it for like three or four or five years. And it was the After Dark Horror Fest, Eight Films to Die For. And it was like independent horror films. And out of eight, I always, I've found like 
I think these were all from the same year, but I found three horror movies that are like supreme that I like love and they're some of the best movies I've ever seen. And I think I Snapchatted it or something the other day, but I found The Abandoned on HBO Go and I was like, everybody needs to watch this. It's one of the best horror movies ever. And then one of my friends was like messaging me about it. And then I just watched it too. And I hadn't seen it in a few years and I was glad it still held up, but it's called The Abandoned. Um, and it's about an, a lady who grew up an orphan. Well, she got adopted and she's kind of being called back to her hometown in Russia to settle some family affairs. Uh-huh. But it's real creepy. Okay. It's really good and I really enjoy it. And if you like horror films, I wouldn't steer you wrong. Got the good atmosphere. Hmm. Real good. Well, I'm always hit or miss on horror. I, I know it's a genre I need to dive more into. Um, it's definitely not one that consistently appeals to me. Um, I think part of it, I am, I tend to like movies. I don't know. I don't know what's up with me in horror. I, I'm trying to get my head around why I don't connect with horror more. Cause like, like Suspiria, which neither of us liked, but is nope. loved, beloved by so many horror fans. Um, but even like, like Texas Chainsaw, I, I didn't see uh-huh. the appeal that so many people do and you love texas chainsaw though so i love texas chainsaw um, oscar and i saw the best shirt the other day i'm gonna have to buy and like i like i've heard some really strong arguments of why it's a great movie but i just found it like obnoxious and kind of like definitely not scary like i never felt like it was scary and i don't i don't know because other things scare me like i genuinely was horrified the first time i watched evil dead and that wasn't that long ago it was not like i was a kid when i watched evil dead the first time but like there are so many things that just creep me out. Like just being alone in my house when I was watching and it was during the day I was like freaking out. So I, I'm not a person who's like too tough to get scared, but there's some things I, that just don't scare me. They just annoy me. And Texas Chainsaw was one of those that just did not click for me. And I know that is a very unpopular opinion, but so is both of us not liking Suspiria. Yeah, and this is how many cares I and, have about and that. And Phantasm but, too. Ugh. Um, so we're going to get hate mail. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but also we've talked about this and I truly believe it in my heart. For some reason, all the filmmakers are like, Hey, I'm going to make a horror movie because mm-hmm. I think they don't think they have to have a budget to do that or they don't have to have a good story. And that's not really the case, but that genre is more steeped in yes. crap yeah. than any other one. I have to wade through so many movies to find good ones, but yeah, when you find the good ones. But again, though, like to me, it seems like there is a huge disparage um, between like what people consider to be good and what I consider to be good. Oh yeah. Because um, again, there are other horror movies that are classics that I do love, and uh, like uh, some modern movies that have been really successful, like um, It Follows. I, I didn't think was that great, but oh, ironically, follows. what I thought was so obnoxious about it is what a lot of people have praised about it, both the score and. Um, the the clear analogy of the story i found i found the analogy to be so on the nose and kind of ridiculous and yet i've heard people make really strong arguments as to why that's why the film is great but then i love babadook and i i hated the witch um but i loved uh it comes at night and hereditary both all three a24 films and i generally love a24 films but i i did not think the witch was good i laughed at the end of the witch like I was like, oh, no, please don't do that. And they did it. And I'm not saying what they did because it would be a spoiler. But I don't understand why everyone is obsessed with Black Phillip. Mm, agreed. I don't get it. I'm like, what's so cool? I, Whatever. I just thought it was such a... Oh. I watched it again a couple months ago because I was like, maybe I didn't give this a fair chance. I was so hyped up on that movie. Yeah. The way they yeah, were selling it. Too. I really thought... That was the you one know, of the first horror movies I brought my daughter to. Um, like in And the then theater. it just... Kind of fell flat. Yeah, I, I, and I, I'm a fan of Anya Taylor Joy. I think she's a really good actress. Um, I loved her in Thoroughbreds, and I really loved her in um, Split. Split. Um, but uh, did I mean? I, and I think she does a good job in The Witch, but I think the movie's bad. Like I, I, I don't know. I obviously I'm. I mean, I I'm, I don't want to say bad. I thought it was dumb, <laughs> which I guess could be articulated as bad. I feel there's like. That, the the period piece and all that stuff is great. It was the movie, the story. I just thought was bleh. I just felt like they could do so much more with the atmosphere, and then 
Especially because it's a slow burn. I just felt like it needed way more. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know what I was going to say there. Sorry, so I, I kept. I, I think I might have like talked over you there for a second. It's fine. But um. Oh, I was gonna say that I feel that way though about most witch movies and about most cult movies. Like I did, I hated House of the Devil. That was the dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life. Mike likes that movie a lot. But I just don't like movies about, like, cults. I don't like... I don't know. What was the movie? Uh, House of the Devil. Oh. I don't know that one. I think Mike liked it a lot. I don't know. But I was really intrigued by that movie, and then it was just dumb. Well, we, we, we're talking a lot about horror like we were in uh, our horror movie month. It's October. But, you know, um, let me get into my comedy special, which is very different uh, from what you watched. But... Um, <laughs> It's yeah. uh, Hannah Gadsby. Are you familiar with her? I watched some of this. Oh, great. Um, I uh, I had heard, uh, I can't remember which comedian I saw raving about it on Instagram. I think it was um, uh, Eliza. Eliza? Eliza Schlesinger. I'm pretty sure that's who Eliza I saw like, talking about this. Um, it's The special's called Nanette. And it's on Netflix. Um, it's just over an hour. And... I, I'd never heard of Hannah Gatsby, but she's been a comedian for a while. Um, and this one is marketed as um, her ending her career. Like, this is going to be her last comedy special. And I laughed a lot at the very beginning. And at some point, um, it, it does – I don't – it's hard to talk about because I don't want to take the experience away because I do think this is an experience. I think you need to go in, uh, know as little as possible – um, about what's going to happen on the special or in the special, but know that it is powerful. Um, and that I think it's one everybody should, should hear. Um, in particular, I honestly think if you are straight white male, you should go into this, um, to hear someone else's perspective for a change and go in willing to change. Um, to at least listen at, at least listen like, yeah just listen go in willing to not be defensive um to understand that it's not necessarily you who is the bad guy but if you're unwilling to hear what she has to say you might be the bad guy and i'm not saying i'm better but i am saying that i try to always be a human first not a white male not a straight male not anything other than the fact that I'm a human. That's what I try to be first. And I am not saying I've never, you know, thought, oh, well, because I'm white, I don't have to worry about this or any. I, I'm sure I'm guilty of tons and tons of, of small things. I've definitely never done anything illegal because I have this whole crazy thing about following the rules. But. Oh, and don't ever not follow the rules in front of him because he will tell on you if somebody asks. Not he's told on me, but yeah, I'm just he, saying. He, he, pretty much follow the rules but yeah i am uh, I, yeah I'm kidding. i mean literally uh in middle school um we were walking home from school a group of like five of us and for some reason we thought it would be fun to throw rocks at each other not big rocks oh. but rocks we were like throwing rocks at each other mainly at each other's feet and not, nobody got hurt but we were behind a business when we were walking and they called the cops on us because we were throwing rocks and they thought we could break their windows so the cops pulled up out of nowhere everybody starts to run but me because it's they said freeze i froze they start to run anyways and i start calling them out by name like where are you going so and so and so and so john smith oh man but uh guinea like they all they all i will give them all credit because they all did stay with me they could have left me especially for selling them out but they all stopped and stayed but again i wasn't doing it to get them in trouble I was thinking that they didn't realize that they were breaking another law by running away. That was my my headspace. Um, not to, like, I'm not going to be left alone, but I follow the rules, and this is clearly not a time to run. We must stand our ground. But nonetheless, I say all that to get back to the point. Um, I think everyone should see the special. It is. It's funny. There are some uncomfortable moments for sure, which I think if you've ever seen stand-up, I mean, it's one of those. It's, there's not going to be censored um but man, I was moved. Uh, I laughed. I, I teared up a lot. Um, and then I was inspired. Um, 
it's it's brilliant like it is one of the best written things i've seen in a long time it, the way she tells the story that is being told um and how they they are pieced together and then revealed and then brought back it, it's brilliant um it's masterful to say the least and if this is her last stand-up special i think it is it's a shame because one i've not heard of her and I, I consider myself to be knowledgeable in stand-up. I, 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 in the 90s, when Comedy Central first came out, I was, like, obsessed with stand-up. That's all I watched most of the time was Comedy Central. And, um, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, Brian Regan. I've seen Bill Burr live. You know, I, I, I've, I went to a couple of the Oddball Comedy Fest. I'm a, I'm a stand-up fan. And not knowing Hannah Gadsby before this, I am very disappointed in myself um, and I, I do actually want to kind of go back and, and listen to some of her other stuff, assuming it's available somewhere. Um, but if this is her last, it's a masterpiece. And if, if this, if because of the success of it prompts her to keep going with it, I will definitely watch whatever she puts out next. Um, and if she goes some other direction with it, like not comedy, but maybe writes a movie or, uh, writes a book or something, I would definitely be willing to hear what she has to say because I was just blown away. Um, so that's what I've been watching. Uh, Hannah Gatsby in the net on Netflix. Highly, highly recommend. Um, I'm looking at letterbox and everyone that's uh, wrote a review seems to be giving it four or five stars. Um, and it has an average of 4.4 on letterbox. So, uh, critics are, are people who use letterbox are raving about it. Most of us are critics. Um, I think with that, uh, Corey, you ready to get into our review of election? Yeah. All right. From here. Oh, we, I thought we were going to give spoiler warning. Not yet, no. We got to do the basic stuff. But <clears throat> oh, first, that's right. your stats. 1999, um, election stars Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon, Chris Klein, and um, basically that's it. But Jessica Campbell deserves a little bit of a nod. Directed by Alexander Payne and uh, adapted from a book by Alexander Payne as well. Not the book, but he adapted the screenplay. 83 meta score, 7.3 IMDb user score. And. Um, we'll start with our non-spoiler review, and then we'll get into spoilers. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Okay, go for it. I don't understand the big deal about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um. Okay, so you didn't like it at all from the sound of it. No. Okay, so I will say, um, one, I, I, I noted on the last episode of the podcast that I've had a uh, up-and-down history with alexander payne let's go through his uh filmography for a second Corey. So tell me if you've seen the movies on the list here um let's start with last year's downsizing nope i didn't like it um i missed nebraska but i've heard good things did you see nebraska uh hold on who's in nebraska uh will forte um bruce stern uh bob odenkirk it's all black and white from like two years ago i did and i didn't like it ah. Well, um, he did uh, Sideways, the um, Paul Giamatti wine movie with um, Thomas Hayden Church. Did you ever see that? No. I, I like that movie, actually. Um, about Schmidt with Jack Nicholson. No? I have seen that, but it's been a long time. I've not seen that one. Um, he did Election. Uh, Citizen Ruth, I'm not familiar with. Inside Out 3. These look kind of raunchy. Inside Out looks like a Skinamax movie, um, <laughs> which is weird because it's not Inside Out like the Pixar film, folks. Don't. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. It is a Playboy does to softcore sex films what HBO's Tales of the Crypt did for horror. So he directed that. Uh, so does that mean that it's like an anthology? I'm guessing. I maybe random know. horror thing. Well, then he he. I guess he worked for Playboy TV apparently. Um, he oh, did do money. his first film outside of that though is called Citizen Ruth and stars Laura Dern and I am a fan of hers. Um she's pretty great. But Election has been you know pretty praised uh overall. Um I I love The Descendants. Um he that's uh Shailene Woodley and George Clooney. Um but it's co-written with Nate Faxon and uh Jim Rash, who are, um, they wrote The Way Way Back, which I'm a huge fan of, and they directed that, but they co-wrote The Descendants with Alexander Payne, or at least he has a screenplay credit. He may have just, um, cleaned it up or something after the fact, but, um, I really like this film, um, so 
I, I'm hit or miss with him. And I will say, uh, my third viewing of Election, I found that the movie's got some really brilliant touches. Like, there's a lot of, like, little themes that are constantly brought back and referenced. And um, there's talk of destiny and there's talk of... Um, trying to pull everything here. Um, I, I have like, I took way too many notes, um, with this movie because I watched it over two days, which I don't usually do, but I, I got, I started it last night. Um, when I was, uh, which is again, we were recording this a week early. I started this on my birthday and then I got a text from my friend to go see eighth grade. So I had to stop about 40 minutes in and then I watched the rest of it, uh, earlier today. Um, but they do all these, uh, Alexander Payne does all these, like, references where he'll say something, one character will say something. Because one of the things about this film is we're, we're told a story from four perspectives. Uh, we have Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, um, Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon, um, Paul, played by Chris Klein, who is such a bland, vanilla actor. You probably don't know who it is by name, but he was in the American Pie films. And then I think the last thing I saw him in was Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds, um, Anna Ferris, and then the girl from Road Trip whose name I can never remember. But, um, and then uh, his sister, Tammy, um, I forget their last name, but uh, Tammy, whose name... Metzler. Metzler. Uh, Tammy was the other actress I said earlier whose name I do not have in front of me, nor do I recall. Um, Jessica Campbell. And we're, we hear their voiceovers, and it's slowly kind of revealed that their voiceovers are from a future point where they know something that's already happened and they're just slowly going to reveal to us what went wrong um, over the course of the film. And that's so like, we're kind of getting a not quite a Rashomon level of um, different stories, but it's definitely a layer of the film that we're getting these uh, four different perspectives um, some know more than others, and we are able to kind of travel between each story, and we see these parallels of things that cross over, and I think there's some real brilliant stuff in the writing there. That said, uh, a lot of people think this is Reese Witherspoon's best comedic performance, and... It, have they not seen Legally Blonde? I have not. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm supposed to, because, uh, Michelle an actress that we interviewed on top five movies earlier this year, Michelle Miller um, is one of her favorite movies is legally blonde. And she knows I've not seen it. And I promise her I will watch it this year and I will. Um, but uh, Matthew Broderick is a, an actor who I generally don't like in movies, except for Ferris Bueller. Um, I hate him in cable guy. He makes cable guy hard to watch. And I really like cable guy except for him in the movie. Um, I don't like him in uh, Godzilla from 1998, which, to be fair, there's not much to like in that movie. But it's it's he plays this kind of bitter, angry character a lot, like, the, in this movie, where he gets, like, he just, he gets to doing stupid things where you're just like, why are you, why are you like this? And he gets typecast as this guy. Even he shows up in, um, oh... Oh, the, uh, I'm going to forget Manchester by the sea. He shows up as, um, Lucas Hedges mom's in the movie, Lucas Hedges mom's boyfriend and or husband. Um, and that scene is so unbearable to me. Like, I don't like him generally in movies. Um, and so that makes this movie tough for me anyways. But then the character that he plays in this movie does some really creepy nasty stuff and because he's a teacher it makes it really uncomfortable for me because if i if like he were my co-worker i would have a just i would probably punch him in the face um and i don't punch people i'd like to point that out i feel like that's a warning for all you people out there yeah. i'm well, kidding i guess I, I, I was about to get into spoilers um we should probably go ahead and get into spoilers ultimately I did find more to like about this movie on my third viewing. I still don't think I can say I like this movie. It <laughs> took three times. Yeah, oh. well, the first time I was I was young, and I think the movie made me uncomfortable because I was, okay. like, watching it with, like, I think my aunt. And, like, I, oh, awkward. There's some really awkward, even, I, I had, like, I was watching it alone last night, but, like, the... And feeling uncomfortable. Yes, because I, I have surround sound in my man room. <laughs> and I'm like, if people hear what is there is being said, they're gonna think I'm watching like porn, 
because some of the the dialogue in the movie is real raunchy and it's not it's not even that raunchy but it's like it it's pretty yeah. nasty though because it's a middle-aged man saying stuff about like a 16 year old oh, the one scene with the the co-worker and how he describes tracy flick like and it just cuts to it like i can see why people think it's funny because it's it's shocking and jarring but it's that type of humor that i generally don't think holds up which is that shock jock you know that's all there is the joke itself isn't funny it's when it happens that's funny but it made me you know kind of cringe more than it made me laugh and so um let's get into spoilers Corey. Okay, guys, from here on out, we're going to be talking about this movie in great detail. I think you can go check it out on Amazon Prime if you watch the non-Criterion collection. It was streaming there. But anyways, you've been warned. Well, I I will say, too, I started streaming it on Prime, even though I own it. Um, And uh, I was having issues with the, um, the, the soundtrack was, like, getting ahead of the visuals. Where, like, they, the mouth was moving and the words had already come out. And I was like, um... And I, I paused it and, like, I stopped it and started it over. I ended up switching to the uh, digital that I owned on Voodoo and had no problem. So I don't think it was my internet. I think it was the Prime version. Um, could be wrong. Or maybe Prime was lagging or something. I don't know. But um, I had no issues with my Voodoo version. had issues with the Prime version. So just a heads up out there. Um, so... I won't say what he says because I, I think it's a little raunchier than I'm comfortable saying myself because I don't want anyone to like cut my audio. But uh, we learn that Jim McAllister, that's again um, Matthew Broderick's character's friend, co-worker, Dave, whatever his last name is, um, has an affair with Tracy Flick, who is a, a high school student um, of his. And we kind of see their relationship play out never um, in the bedroom, but we get a lot of implications. But the first time we're revealed that they had a intimate relationship, we hear the character describe Tracy in a very graphic way that Matthew Broderick's character reacts the same way I think we're supposed to react, which is like, oh, God, don't say that. But it just cuts to it, right? Like, it's just, bam, here it is. Here's the guy's face. We're on a close-up of him saying this graphic description of Tracy, um, and it made me uncomfortable, and it made me very worried that my daughter or my her friends who were over here last night because um, one of her friend's birthday was, is this weekend. And her other friend also has a birthday in August. So, like, we kind of had, like, a shared birthday cake last night. Um, oh, fun. And so they were in, like, the other room. And then, like, that said, and I was like, oh, my God, I hope they didn't hear that line. No one said anything to me. But in my own head, I was, like, freaked out more. So I was, like, already – I was kind of taken out of the movie for a minute, too. Because I'm like, oh, my God. Um, and that happens a few times. There's a scene where Matthew Broderick's having sex with his wife. And she is obsessed with getting pregnant, so she keeps repeating this line that I'm still not comfortable saying. Um, I'll, like, okay, the most redeemable characters in this movie are Paul and Tam- Tammy Metzler. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is pretty despicable. Paul is 100% pure. Um, yeah, and he really, honestly, just wants the best man to win. Yeah, and and when you hear their prayers that night, and he's just such a nice guy, and I'm like, shut yeah, up. Yeah. He is. He, you almost hate him because he's so oblivious to some of his qualities, though. Like, because he is, like, he's like, thanks for my nice truck. Like, he's oblivious to. Um, it's not. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's. He's, but he's he's innocent at the same time. He's not doing it intentionally. He genuinely like he cares about Tammy. Like, I never doubt that for a minute. Um, you know, like, cause she gets upset and for good reasons, like her girlfriend, uh, Tammy is his stepsister, we learn, or, um, adopted sister, uh, foster sister and her girlfriend who apparently was having second thoughts about being a lesbian breaks up with Tammy and then ends up dating Paul like the next day. And even how that scene's broken down though, cause, uh, she, they have oral sex and then they go to uh, her house and they, they F his words, they F and have a hot tub. Um, he doesn't censor the <laughs> F, but, and I'm just like, oh man, even these lines, I don't want my kids to hear this. And I watched this and probably, like I was, I was 17 or 18 when I watched this, mind you, cause it was 99. Like I was about to graduate high school, but still like I watched this with like my family, like my, my extended family, my aunt and my cousins who were somewhere younger. And I don't know, I, I know that I, this is definitely why I had a negative reaction to this movie for a long time because of, 
I must have felt so, so uncomfortable with some of these scenes. Again, the scene where Matthew Broderick's having sex with his wife and she's saying, you know, make sure I have a baby, but not saying it like that. Um, and good job. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Are you his coach? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, he's like talking about how she's his best friend and things have never been better. And I'm like, if you think that's a good marriage, my friend. Well, and then he starts picturing his, uh, the guy who cheated on his wife with, uh, Tracy. Tracy. Um, he starts fantasizing about her, but then he starts fantasizing about Tracy. Now it's just Tracy's head on the back of his wife's head, which is messed up. And it's, but it's disturbing because it's a student. So like, it's the second time now that there's a student, like, in. See, I didn't think that he was like fantasizing about her in that way. I felt like he could just not get away from her impeding on everything in his life yeah like he couldn't just stop being so pissed about it i would agree with that if he didn't keep going right like well you know good job (laughs) well she does say good job but that's all that matters here i think it was like i think there is some attraction there not to mention that the friend co-worker had described his sexual interactions with Tracy to him. So I do think there is some level of it, but I, I agree. That's the only time that happens and she does invade his life. And I don't think he, like there's no other reference. He's clearly obsessed with the ex-wife of uh, his friend, which yeah, he's despicable. And God, when he gets stung on the eye by the bee, I am so bothered by how that eye looks the rest of the movie. Like it grosses me out <laughs> so much. They did a pretty good they job. They did. Um, I, I just was wait. I was um, I had a feeling that Linda was trying to sabotage Jim's marriage. I, which it's not all her fault. I'm not saying that it's his fault. He's the married one. Well, I don't even know how to word that, but it it's not on just on either of them. But I just felt like she was out, kind of to get him and i kind of felt like maybe it was a well i don't have a happy marriage why should you why would you sleep with him and then make plans to go to a motel with him after he gets off of work and then you never show up and you're at his wife's house who is supposed to be your friend yeah and you're telling her that you both slept together i just felt like i don't know I felt like that was sabotage. Oh, it totally seemed like it, right? Like, the way it plays out, because... Like, it was all for that. Well, that that first time, he's, like, when they're in the car, and he's like, how about we get a hotel room? One, I'm like, how cavalier is that? You haven't, like, even done anything romantic with each other. You've gone shopping, and you go from taking her shopping to, let's get a hotel room? What kind of, like, world is this guy living in where that's the process? It's, oh, we went to the mall? clearly we're gonna have sex like what what is that like where did that come from you would think like a kiss first and like oh we shouldn't or romantic glance like there was nothing nothing. he he jumped so far but then when she goes to him like she has him come clean her drain out and then she like hugs him awkwardly and like i i do think she came on to him but in her bathroom yeah well that's the thing to me it's clearly it's like entrapment right like He's already made the offer. She she immediately looks like looks at him like he's the worst person ever, and they just awkwardly you know blow past it. They don't talk about it. It just goes on. But the fact that they they we don't know if they had sex or they just fooled around that morning. They definitely did something. I felt like they probably. Had I sex. I think so too. But it's never a hundred percent said what they do so I'm, I'm giving some room because especially because they plan on getting the hotel room later to me it seems mm-hmm. like you know maybe just foreplay and then like that they, they built up to that point where now they need the hotel room but then again i don't know but either way she then doesn't show up for the hotel he's she he goes to pick her up she's not home and then yeah her being at the house it just seems like she had planned that like almost like um i'm single and i'm gonna make this other my friend single too because all men are pigs which to be fair she'd have a strong argument because the men in her life are pigs like well she's a pig too a valid point valid point because she still did something with him even if they didn't have full sex anyways it's her friend her friend it's her friend's husband because she could have just went to the friend and said hey we were at the mall your husband hit on me your husband not just hit on offered to get a hotel room like it'd be one thing like 
because she put the lipstick on he's like oh you look gorgeous or something like that's that could be crossing a line you know depending on oh yeah what you say and how you say it and things like that. i mean you can compliment a woman and it be a just genuine compliment i believe so i think you can look at a woman who is a friend and say oh yeah that looks nice or that's pretty or you look very nice today and it not be like sexual but the way he said it was very much like it it felt like I'm Heather. yeah it felt like there was a sexual and we know there is because we hear the voiceover so maybe i'm maybe i'm projecting my own knowledge onto his words but um i don't know you're completely right i don't think anybody's redeemable in this film except for paul and tammy tammy's a like a rebel character so you can't say she's like like paul's pure <laughs> paul's innocent but tammy tammy does like she doesn't look to hurt anybody i guess is like where she's no and she yeah i just i don't know i love that she wanted to go to the all-girl catholic school yes well i mean the, the irony of I that know. like yeah <laughs> Glad she got a lady. Yeah, it, it, you know, she finds her soulmate or whatever. Um, and I do like her as a character. Uh, it felt like they could have done a little more with the character for Tammy, because I do think she's far more interesting than a lot. And the fact that they introduce her in as a voiceover, and she doesn't get as much to do with that. Like, T- Tracy and, and Jim are clear, and then Paul. Paul's more of like... He's a pawn, right? Like, he's Jim's tactic to combat Tracy, who he's slightly jealous of, maybe. Um, he, d- I can't say I've never felt that way about people. Like, where, like, ooh, I, I see that you're a go-getter, but you have this vicious streak in you that makes me apprehensive about you getting power. Um, you know, that... I... <sighs> I don't she like tries to pass it off like the relationship with the teacher was like mutually respect respectful and you know she just loved having their talks but I really just think she's a manipulator and she's really lucky it never got out to anyone that she did that because let's be real I don't think that that would happen Mm -hmm. like anytime that I've ever gone to school or now like something like that happened it would get out i just see her as being the kind of person who would do things like that to get what she wants yeah well i don't know it's it they do kind of play it both ways right like um because when she's cutting him out of the yearbook she seems there's like a coldness to it you know there's that whole thing of her using the software to like literally remove him from pictures and stuff uh there's like a coldness to that where it doesn't seem like she has any sadness that she's having to do this. She's there's not like a tear rolling down her cheek or anything to give us any hint that she had any feelings for him whatsoever. Yet Mm-mm. there's that later scene where she is contemplating and looking back at it and whatnot. Plus she's so strong. It's and the way he acts, like he doesn't act like a predator when it's when it's all caught. He acts like a a guy who's fallen in love when he shouldn't have you know like i'm not justifying his behavior mind you but like and he's definitely a predator because he's sleeping with a minor not not changing that but the way it's revealed is that he is genuinely in love with her where he's sobbing in front of his principal you know um and not because he's getting caught either he's literally sobbing because it's not gonna it's not gonna happen like he had this whole plan for them and that was, I think, the most shocking part. Because she is cold and calculating. And he is in love. You know, that's not the way that relationship would normally... Is that love or infatuation? Well, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, you call it what yeah. you But I'm saying he's hurt by it. Emotionally. Yeah. Oh, yes. Invested. Emotionally invested. It's not just sex for him. And that is, I don't think, how that would normally be um, portrayed. Which I'm not saying is a good or bad thing, but it's definitely a, it's a distinct character trait of Tracy Flick. Because even and we know how much she doesn't like Mr. McAllister, or at least doesn't trust Mr. McAllister. Yet when she offers him the cupcake after he's got the bee sting, and she's like, "What happened to your eye?" She seems genuinely concerned to me. Like, like I don't think she's all bad. I guess is what I'm saying. I know, I know, I, I. I don't know why I feel that way, but I feel like politics is a very fitting 
you know, True. I feel like that's very good. And that might be, maybe that's Payne's point is like politicians are, are able to separate their feelings. Sometimes they're, they're going to go after what they want. Um, maybe they're, they're even evil at times, but most of them have genuine care for something. It may not be everything, but they often have some, you know, sometimes it's just a lust for power and you could argue that that's Tracy, but there's also, it's like, she's trying to find her place in society in a way. Like where does she fit in? Cause she is lonely. She doesn't seem to have any friends at all. And there is that whole at the end, like her loneliness and there's a, there's a resentfulness because she grew up t- in a like tougher situation. You know, she doesn't have everything given to her. And so she's had a taste of what it is to have something and she's not willing to just give it up. So like there are things about her character that I think are relatable, maybe not redeemable, but relatable. Like where you can kind of see why she makes the choices she makes. And that's the thing. I do think this movie is well-written. I still don't think I like it. Um, I, I liked it more this time. I still don't, I, I, it makes me so uncomfortable just too much and a lot of the jokes are again, I think, um, very low brow, uh, or at least presented in a low brow way that made me, I don't know, because I can laugh at a Kevin Smith like I, I don't know what it is. I can laugh at dirty jokes and I can laugh at raunchy movies. But could it maybe be that it's, uh, you know, somebody in their forties talking about like a sixteen or seventeen year old? It definitely, it definitely bothers me. Especially again, I am a Puts teacher. Puts it on a whole different level. Yeah, it, it's my f- area of profession, and like I don't, I don't think much of what happens in it is okay in any way. Like the sexuality, obviously no. But even like the things he does, like within the election itself, where he, you know, he throws away the ballots. <laughs> Like, yeah, at least cover your tracks, buddy. As soon as he, like, threw them in the trash. What? I know that sometimes the things that I say make me sound like a pretty shitty person, but I'm actually pretty honest. But I was just like, as soon as he was, like, sitting there, I knew he was going to do something bad. And then I knew he was going to throw them in the garbage. And then he wasn't even going to get rid of the evidence. And, of course, they. I wish Alexander Payne had a little more trust in his audience. Because at the beginning of the movie, when um, we see Matthew Broderick cleaning out the fridge he throws a, a box of Chinese food like t- like takeout and it misses the trash can. It hits the floor. He cuts to a close-up of the custodian who looks a little upset, almost like almost reminiscent of the, uh, the old commercial with the native American um, on the side of the road. And he like the one tier when the trash is thrown at him, like it's almost that shot. The custodian like looks at the, the stuff on the floor and he leaves, he leaves. We don't, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't react. He doesn't let Matthew Broderick's character know that he saw it. He just walks away. I feel like it was kind of dumb because I also didn't feel like Matthew Broderick's character was going to leave it there after he was I, done. I agree. He just happened to witness it. I agree, it. but we don't know. And so here we cut to the moment where he walks into the principal's office and he realizes he's in trouble because we have the ballots of the trash can, the custodian who's apparently found them in the trash can. His, the kid, Larry, who was the other kid who counted, who was suspicious about the whole thing in the first place. Uh, Tracy Flick, Tracy Flick's parent or mom. And the uh, I guess it's the assistant principal who just shows up halfway through the movie for some reason. Um, and he's just there. like He's not there in the beginning of the movie. He shows up for one scene, and then he's gone again, but then he's back. I don't know what that guy's doing. Anyways, um, they then show that flashback. They show a close-up of the custodian. They show that scene again of him throwing it. I'm just like, dude, you gotta trust your audience that we remember that moment. Don't re-show it. There's, it's Chekhov's Chinese food. Are you familiar with the uh, Chekhov's gun uh, trope in movies? No. So if, if you see a gun in the first act of a film, good writers will make sure that that gun goes off or that you think it's going to go off in the third act. So that, like, if you see something, if you, if something's important enough for us to point it out, to put it in front of you, to show it to the audience, that it has to pay off somewhere else. Or, or at least make them think it's going to pay off, right? Like, you can, you can do a red herring, you can mislead the audience intentionally, but it shouldn't just be there. Why is the character waving the gun around? Why did they do a close-up of the Chinese food hitting the floor, followed by a close-up of the custodian, if it's not going to pay off somewhere else. And here's where it pays off. He gets his chance 
to get back at him for trashing his floor, and he does. That should have been enough, but Payne, I, I feel, didn't trust the audience enough to remember that throwaway scene from the beginning of the movie. Um, I, I made a note of it when it happened. I'm like, close-up of Chinese food, what's the deal? And I've seen this before, but I, I again, I, I've only seen it twice, and I didn't really care for it either time beforehand. So my memory of the movie was thin. But I do think there's some really strong stuff here. Again, I think that moment early in the film really makes the scene pay off at the end, but I hate that he cuts back to it. Like, trust that we remember. Give us give us the benefit of the doubt that we're going to make that connection without you having to show that connection again, especially because it's the exact same shots. It'd be different if we had, like, a long shot of that room early and we had to see the custodian, like, we had to find it on our own, and now you're going to show the close-up to make sure we make the connection. But you showed us the close-up. We saw the Chinese food. We saw him look at the Chinese food and look upset and then walk away. I... I feel like that was unnecessary to do the flashback, but small, small gripe on a movie that I'm already lukewarm on. I guess we should end this, Corey. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about election? Don't waste your time. Oh, are you saying that, <laughs> are you saying this is an avoid like the plague or not a total waste of time? I have not a total waste of time. Okay. Are you so proud? I was prepared with my writing I am proud, for both of fact. these. Um, I feel like you probably didn't even notice. Um, no, I did notice. I did. I promise. Um, I'm, I'm actually messaging Alejandro back. Uh, I've been, uh, our friend Alejandro, who directed Monday and was on the, um, Rebel Without a Crew, the series with Robert Rodriguez, which will be playing on the El Rey Network here in the fall. Um, there, Monday's, uh, getting some circulation and he was just on the No Film School podcast, um, which is a really good episode of the, that podcast, which I've used No Film School for in my classes for years. Their website, they have great articles and some really cool tips. I didn't realize they had a podcast until Alejandro was on it, so now I've got a new podcast to listen to. Um, oh, right. But I, I do, uh, I recommend that episode. I posted it on my Instagram story uh, the other day, which I guess is gone now because I forget those rotate. But um, he just messaged me something because I'm going to show a couple of his short films to my students. And he was like, uh, what did they think? I'm like, I don't have kids yet. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm planning ahead. Um, but uh, I give Election the decent watch rating. Um, just one above you again. I do think there's some really good stuff here. And I think for the right audience, this could be a really enjoyable film. So I do understand where people are coming from. For me, it's not something I want to rewatch again. Um, I'm, I feel like three is, even if one was a long time ago. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and again, I, I I get it, and I do like raunchy comedies. That's the thing that I'm not sure. I think it is what you said. It's it's too much connection to things that I am like connected to that would bother me in real life, and so it it bothers me in the movie. Um, just all up and down. And again, I don't think Chris Klein's that good of an actor. I kind of wish that was somebody else um, to make Paul even more likable because he is likable, but he's not like. Oh, great, Paul. I can't wait for Paul. So, um, yeah. Election, not one of our favorites. Um, definitely, again, I do see why uh, people like it. I just, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I do think there's some good stuff there, though. So, our next movie, um, I have never seen it. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but we're going to be watching American Graffiti. Um, I have not. Oh, good. So, this is one that neither of us have seen. This is a film that I've had students who, uh, surprisingly, have seen, love this movie, and have gotten given me crap for not having seen it, um, in which I gotta agree with them, because one, it's directed by George Lucas. I am a Star Wars fanatic. What? Um, two, I love Richard Dreyfus, and Richard Dreyfus is a lead in this. Um, I, I, Jaws is one of my favorite films. I love Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I got to see uh, Richard Dreyfus at a Q&A for Jaws a couple years ago. Um, that I was even able to take some of my, my students to. But then Ron Howard's in this as well, right? And I know, this is a big cast because I think this is more of an ensemble-type movie. But I know Harrison Ford is in this. He's not... Oh, there he is. I had to go way down on the cast list to find him. But Harrison Ford, I think, might make his acting debut in this movie. Um, and this is obviously where he meets George Lucas. Uh, this film's from 1973, so four years before we're going to get Star Wars. Um, a couple of high school grads spend one final night cruising the strip with their buddies before they go off to college. 
Um, this is rated PG, but this is 73, so the PG might be a little more risky. But it's got a 97 Metascore and a 7.5 IMDb rating. And yeah, it's one that has been on my radar for at least two years now. And I'm finally going to check it off my gap list. Um, are you excited, Corey? Mm. Oh. I didn't know all these people were in it, and I somehow didn't know it was directed by George Lucas. Mm-hmm. So those are all drawing points. Yeah, and written by, too, which could be a negative point. If there's anything about sand and it getting everywhere or Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> um, no. we're done. But uh, I have it's got a 97. It's only 15 reviews, I should point out, for Metacritic. But still, 97 is really, really high. Um, and I do have a, a student. I don't know if I have him this year or not, but um, he, he raved about this film. This is one of his faves. So I am glad I'm finally going to get to see it. Um, I did promise him I would watch it before the end of the year, so I'm living up to that promise. Uh, we'll be talking about American Graffiti on our next episode. If you want to give us your thoughts on any of the movies that we've reviewed, or specifically American Graffiti, hit us up. Um, you can email us, contact at BerkReviews.com, contact at BerkReviews.com. You can follow us on social media. I am on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at BerkReviews. Corey? At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. And of course, you can keep up with everything that I'm watching on Letterboxd.com and BerkReviews.com, where I post my reviews, um, post the podcast. Uh, I do a couple of other podcasts with, with Matt Hudson from WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk. Check out that No Film School podcast with Alejandro. Um, check out our back episodes, where we interview Alejandro and or Jamie, both from the film Monday, something that you should be able to see in the coming months. I, I believe Alejandro says on the No Film School podcast, that when the um, show starts playing on the L Ray Network, that all of the movies that are made on the show are going to be available to stream on the uh, on demand on the L Ray Network. So if you have the L Ray Network, you should be able to stream the movies sometime in the fall. So um, yeah, until next time, folks, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BerkReviews.com. <laughs>